All right, we're going to open our Bibles today. So if you, uh, if you need a Bible, remember you were just saying hello, people. I didn't say be friendly, I just said say hello. If you uh, need a Bible so you can open a Bible, will you raise your hand and then the ushers are going to get you one. Um, I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation today. And so uh, if you have a digital Bible and sometimes people want to know so that they can read along in the same one, feel free to do that. But keep your hand up until the ushers get you a Bible. If anybody needs one. Okay. What we are going to do a quick review. Last week we had Travis on. How many of you guys were here last week when Travis Arnold was here? I tell you, I love when he comes. Um, personally, I prefer if he spoke every week and I could just listen. Uh, he has a way of bringing such depth with a reality of what a lot of us are thinking and kind of talking about the elephants in the room, but doing it in a graceful way. And um, I know we all have different senses of humor, but I really like his sense of humor. Uh, when he was here last year, he said one of the funniest things I've ever heard is he was talking about his athleticism or the lack thereof. And he mentioned how anytime one of his boys um, uh, shows any kind of athleticism, he pushes them down so that they don't think they're athletic because he's not into to, I guess it's not funny anymore, but I thought it was hilarious at the time. Now you guys think he's just a jerk, but um, it made sense to me. Um, so reviewing last week. So <clears throat> last year we had a theme, kind of an overarching kind of umbrella, if you will, theme for the year, which is taste and see that God is good. One of the things is, is we want all of us that call City Harvest home to remember to taste and see that God is good that we don't get caught up just into routine, we don't just get caught up into motions, and we forget to slow down and actually savor the goodness of God. Another element of it was the Lord's table. And uh, we did a series on the table, and part of that was that we would begin to um, take more time to take communion, remembering, as Jesus told us to do, to take in a remembrance of what he did. But the other element of it was to say that every person in this room, he is inviting you to take a seat at the table. It's not for a select couple of people. It's not just that you missed your invitation. Who here has ever heard about a party that you wish you were invited to and you were not invited? Whether it be a wedding or a birthday party or something that's happened. Come on, raise your hand. We're, we're all doing this together. Anybody ever feel that way? Here's the deal. At this party, we all have a seat. You're all invited to come and sit and taste and see that he is good. But we have to remember that it goes beyond even us in this room. That Jesus wants to invite everyone in to taste and see that he is good. Part of that is also remembering what led us to want to follow Christ. Was it that one day? Now, sometimes some people who here you were um, led to Christ through God confronting you. It wasn't his love. It was his conviction. And it was like he hit you with a Mack truck head on. Anybody have that experience? Okay, a couple of you. How many of you 
would say you were drawn to Jesus through his love, his forgiveness, and just his compassion saying, you're broken, you're messed up, come, I want to embrace you. We want people to be able to come and taste and see that God is good. But we don't just gather so that we can taste and see that he is good and leave it there. That's nice, and it it builds us up and it encourages us. But there's something he wants to do in us so that we take it, we become his disciples, and we go. And we do say, here I am, send me. And we begin to, to allow the change, the transformation to take place inside of our lives, and we go. But when we go, we don't want to go in ourselves. If you're like me, when you walk in your own, sometimes you got some natural giftings that God has given you, but sometimes those can lead us astray. And sometimes we miss the mark because we're not being led by Holy Spirit. We're being led by our own intellect or our own desires or our own emotions. So what we're looking at, one of the overarching things for this year, is for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. But it's not something we're just asking kind of out there. We're saying, first, start with me. Start with each one of us. Transform me. Let your kingdom come and invade me. But today we're going to look at what, what do I need to do for that to take place? So looking at last week, what is his kingdom? He talked about the kingdom of God and that you could uh, uh, put in the word reign in place of kingdom. The reign of God. The rule of God, meaning God is the one who is sovereign above all those things. And his kingdom is where we, ha- where we allow him to reign. So it's not just something we walk into. It's actually something we're submitting ourselves to and saying we're submitting ourselves to the rule, to the reign of God. He also kind of broke down the difference of the kingdom versus the kingdom. You following my inflection there a little bit? Um, when we put the emphasis on the dom, the D-O-M, uh, it, that's about the domain or the territory of the king. So that's more what we see in governments or what we would have seen in the world where the kingdom is, is dictated and created based off of the, the domain, the area that that king has. Versus when we look at the king dumb and the focus is on the king, the king defines it. He said the character of the king dictates the characteristics of the kingdom. So it's not so much about just the the land element, like, well, this is a church. So here at 8100 Northwest 9th Avenue, this parcel of land is part of the kingdom because we've marked it off and, and it's his. No, we're submitting ourselves to the characteristics of the king. Is it here and now or is it yet to come? Is the kingdom here or is it something we're praying for? It's both. Yes, we won't really realize the full kingdom of God until Jesus returns. So there is that element to it. But there's also the here and now that he wants his kingdom to come and he wants to reign in our lives. He wants to reign in our church. He wants to reign in everything we do. So there is the here and the now. It won't be complete until Jesus comes, but there is the element where it's here now, and that's what we want to tap into. That's what we want to submit ourselves to. Swapping out the, the temptation of swapping out the effects of the thing 
for the thing itself. So deciding we're just going to do ethical and moral things, which are the effects of the kingdom. He kind of talked through that in a legislative way where we're, we're so focused on getting moral legislation. And he said, listen, I'm not, I'm not for immoral legislation, but I don't just believe that moral legislation is all of a sudden going to change me into a Christ follower. It's the effects of the thing. But what we really want is the thing itself which is Jesus. It's his character to come in us. I remember there was someone who used to say who was, uh, uh, wasn't following Jesus and um, knew a lot about what our church did. And this is quite a few years ago and used to say, I wish that you guys could take the God element out. Because this individual was so impressed with the community service and the, even just the community element of relationships and, and hanging out and supporting one another and, and the outreaches and just loving for people and meeting people's needs was so impressed with all of that. Loved the effects. Wanted to fully embrace the effects, but was resistant to the thing itself, which is God. So this person was saying, man, if you guys could just remove, it would tell me over and over, if you could just remove the thing itself, I'm all in. But we're not here for the effects. It doesn't mean we're against the effects because the effects will be the byproduct when we embrace the thing itself. It will be the fruit of it. You won't be able to hold it back. But you can chase after the effects and not have the thing itself. Just because you're forcing it to happen doesn't mean you gave any room for God himself to come and for his reign to be here. Lastly, his kingdom is here anytime we surrender to the reign of God. Over the years, I've been part of a lot of different, say, prayer meetings where we're praying for the kingdom of God to come. We're praying for revival. Anybody ever been in a prayer meeting where you're praying for revival? One of the things that I think is lacked in the majority of the ones I've been in growing up was we were praying for something to take place instead of focusing on this statement right here, that his kingdom is here. Not just will be here, not just could be here, but it is here any time we surrender to the reign of God. So do we want to pray for it? Absolutely. Do we believe in the power of prayer? Absolutely. But let's start by surrendering to the reign of God and start the request with saying, right here, Lord, I want to start by saying, I surrender. I want to start by saying, I want to come under your reign. I want to start by saying, I want your characteristics to come and change me. Then I want to say, Lord, through that, that your kingdom would come. That your kingdom would be revealed through my life. Today, how does his kingdom come? Let's look at how does it come. This won't be all inclusive, but these are some elements. We're going to look at surrender. Surrender everything to his reign. That's always exciting. Everyone's pumped up about it already. Uh, you're like, okay, can we skip to point number two? Well, let's look at it. Who is greater, the one being served or the servant? We're going to look at that. Um, just a little, I'll just help you out. It's never what we think it is naturally in our mind. So just go with the opposite one, okay? Um, seek first the kingdom of God. Question for us to consider as we go through this. Is his kingdom advancing in and through me? We can sit and say we agree with Scripture all day long. We can quote Scripture all day long. We can go to Bible studies and study Scripture all day long. 
We can show up to church week after week. But that doesn't mean that it's advancing in and through us. And really, the answer to number one is directly tied to the other three. Have we surrendered everything to his reign? Do we seek first the kingdom of God? All right, I need prayer to help me through this. For myself, and I think for all of us. So let us pray. Father, we come before you today. God, first we want to acknowledge that we are your children and that you are good. I thank you for that word that came forward, just to remind us of that today. Lord, I ask that my words would not be what's heard. Lord, that you would help every person in this room to weed out what you're saying to them, not what I'm saying, but what you're saying. Help each one of us to put aside distractions and to say, Lord, what do you want to change in me? How can I leave this place looking more like you and acting more like you? God, I open up all that I am not just part of who I am, but all that I am, for you to come search me, to know me, to reveal anything you want to to me, to show me those things that you want me to surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, we're going to start with the first one, surrender everything to his reign. Will you turn to Luke chapter 18? And um, the three main portions of Scripture we're going to look at today are conveniently all in Luke. But they are on different pages, so you're still going to have to turn. So Luke, which is in the, the Gospels near the beginning of the New Testament, which is like two-thirds of the way through the Bible, but you can look at the beginning to find the page to find it. But Luke chapter 18, we're going to look at verse 18 through 22. Now, most of you in your Bible, it's going to um, kind of the little header over this section is going to say the rich man, the rich young ruler. Basically, this is a guy who is seeing Jesus and he's basically saying, you know, what do I need to do to follow you? But he's someone who has some success behind him. And so Jesus is going to, why, why are we reading this one? Because it ties to the first point here. Is he willing to surrender everything? Now, what I want to encourage all of us to do as we read this is to not see this from a place of where the judge is saying, man, this guy's a real idiot. But for us to look at the idiot inside of us in a sense of where, when is it where we come to God and say, Lord, I need you to come intervene in my life. I need you to come change this circumstance. But then when he tries to call us into something, we say, oh, I can't do that. Uh, I, I can't go there. I'm not willing to go there. So once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. There's almost like an acknowledgement there saying, you just acknowledge that I am the son of God, that I come from God, which is almost a thing of, there's almost this dichotomy of I'm asking this question to the person that I'm acknowledging truly is God, but yet am I going to do, so I'm aware of who he is, which most of us in this room, we're aware of who Jesus is in our life. 
But it's interesting how aware we can be aware, but yet not always obey. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. All those commandments are things in the way we relate to others, the way we talk to others, the the way we react to others. The man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. So he's feeling pretty good about himself. He's feeling like, you know, hey, I'm a good Jewish boy. I've been, you know, I went to Sunday school. I read all that I needed to read, and I've been following those things as much as I can. When Jesus heard this answer, he said, there is still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now, does this mean that to follow Jesus, every single one of us, you need to go cash out your, your, you need to sell your car, you need to get rid of everything, and that is the only way you can prove that you truly follow Jesus? Not at all. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is this was something that the guy was holding on to. And it was something he wasn't willing to let go of. And it wasn't something he was willing, because, you know, usually what Jesus, what God isn't asking us to do is to just give it up and then we have nothing. He wants to know, are we willing to give it up, but yet trust him in it? Which means that I could sell all that I have knowing that God is still going to take care of me. I can give up my dreams knowing that my life isn't going to be miserable. I can say yes to God to go do something that seems intimidating or scary and is a little bit frightening knowing that in my weakness he is made strong and that he will never leave me nor abandon me. So he wants to know if we'll truly surrender all that we have, surrender everything. And that is what it takes, where we let go. Doesn't mean we lose everything, but we let go of everything if we truly want his kingdom to come. So part of the question is, how badly do we want his kingdom to come? How badly do you and I want his kingdom to come in our own life and to even come in, our, in this church, our family, our church family's life? How badly... Do we really want to see lives change in our community and to see our church family be an instrument of change? How badly do we really want God to say, I can send my most hurting sons, my most hurting daughters to City Harvest because I know they are a people of unity. I know they are a people submitted. I know they are people surrendered to my reign and they're not doing it for their ego. They're not doing it for their reputation. They're not doing it for their own emotions so they can pat themselves on the back. They're doing it because they love me and because they've embraced my love and they want to see my love go to others. How badly do we want that? Or what is it that's so much more important than us seeing that take place? What is it like this man where we're saying, I I can't let go of this candle. I just had to find something to hold on to. I just can't let go of this candlestick. Honey, it's broken at the top. Did you know that already? We need to melt it and fix it. It's wobbling. But what is it that is so much more important 
Am I really gonna, this is a stupid example, but am I really gonna hold on to this? Instead of seeing Laura transformed, that this is so much more important than her feeling the love of God. Or this opinion that I don't like this lifestyle, is it that much more important than to be able to see the person in that lifestyle walk in the doors and taste and see that our God is good and that he loves and he's a forgiver. So what are we still holding on to that we won't let go of? But he wants us to let go, but to trust in him. I'm going to put this back here before I fully break it. Should I give it to you for a repair? Okay, leave it. Let be. So his kingdom coming will cost. It's going to cost us our independence, our opinions, our money, our time, our dreams. I thought of this, though. Actually, though, we're saying it's going to cost. The rich young ruler believed it was going to cost him. But actually, it only costs us if we believe that what we have is actually ours. If we truly believe that what we have is his, then it's actually not a cost, it's alignment. So if we truly think, I don't know if I can give it up. I mean, I'm the one, you know, Jesus isn't the one clocking in for 40 hours. He didn't go get that degree, which then gives me the opportunity to, to make that money. Do I see that is mine in which then, you know what? It is a cost. You're absolutely right. If that's our mindset, it is a cost. But if I believe that this is the day that the Lord has made, I'm going to rejoice and I'm going to be glad in it. And I thank God that I woke up and I have breath in my lungs. I can take all the vitamins I want in the world. I can work out, which obviously I'm not doing. I can do all these different things. I can eat clean. I can drink a ton of water. I can do all these things. But the fact is the number of my days is not determined based off of what I do. Can I hurry up and make my days shorter? I, yes, I can but I cannot extend them beyond the will of God in my life. And what I have, the gifts I have, the, 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 the strengths I have, I didn't pick them out. I was not an infant up in heaven saying, I want a little bit of that and I'll take a double dose of that. And, and I can't, when I was five years old, download a, an upgrade. I am who I am. All I can do is submit myself to him and say, Lord, use me. Here I am, send me. God, in my weakness, be strong. Lord, work through my bad attitudes, work through my shortcomings. I surrender to you because I want to align myself. If we align, it's no longer a cost. All right, who's greater? Woo, here we go. Good answer there, Vicki, God. All right, Luke chapter 22. You just got to turn over maybe one page, max two pages depending on the print, the, the size of the print of your Bible. Luke chapter 22, verse 24. <clears throat> this is something these disciples love to do. So we like to talk about unity here. But they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. They were always looking at this, always arguing, always questioning. But who would be the greatest among them? Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lorded over their people. 
Yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. So he acknowledges, he's saying, yes, of course. This is the way you would think of it, because this is the way society says it. It's the way our minds normally work. So he's not saying, I can't believe you would think that way. No, he's acknowledging, he's normalizing. He's saying, yes, that's the way you would typically answer it. But then he's calling them into the kingdom of God. He's calling them into his reign. And he's saying, yes, that would be normal, but not here. For I am among you, the one who serves. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. And so if he can come to serve, so what must we? Why bring this one up? Because it, it makes a lot of sense. To me, what's important about this verse is if we truly believe it, believe that Jesus came to serve, not to be served, and we believe that you and I are supposed to be servants, then why is it that we spend so much of our life trying to get a seat at the table? Now, I want to just clarify something. I'm not talking about the table I was talking about earlier. Everybody get that? So I'm not talking about sitting at Jesus's table. We are all there. Grab the seat. Run to the seat. Sit down and say, this one is mine. There's another one for you, but this is my chair. I'm here. I'm not leaving this meal. I want to be at the feet of Jesus. Take it. Run after it. Be aggressive for it. But I'm talking about the table of importance, the table of status, the table of monetary value, the table of possessions, the table of fame, the table of social media followers and social media likes. Man, you know, I'm not much of the social media guy because it just takes me a long time to figure out what's going on. And by the time I figure it out, I'm already behind. And so why figure it out? You know what I mean? Any of you here with me on that one? But you know, I'm going to be honest is, so I would always view social media as, well, I'm just going to put stuff on there so people know like what my family's up to, that my kids have grown. We've never once sent out a Christmas card. I don't think we ever will. Um, I remember as a young kid having to take photos at JCPenney's. Anybody ever done a family photo at JCPenney's? And I was in the middle of five, and I've been known as kind of like the mopey one, per se. Don't judge me. I know you've never seen me act that way. But I refused to smile, and my bottom lip was hanging. I got a spanking afterwards because I wouldn't contribute with the family. <coughs> that was before you could Photoshop like a smile on my face. Um, What's that have to do with it? Um, <coughs> social media. So even though my desire was purely just to post stuff on there, I did not ever want to get into a dialogue with anybody. But there was always a thing in my head after I posted it, how many people saw it, how many people liked it. There's always a curiosity, which I would catch myself like, why the heck does that matter? Who cares if they like it or don't like it? That's not why I'm doing it. But yet, and I would see this thing in me. 
Why is it that we spend so much time, so much energy trying to get at that table? When what Jesus is saying the value is in is being a servant. Which ties into the first one, which is the value is giving it up for his sake. And saying all that I am is yours, so use me. Let me serve. Let me give. I was talking to someone here just a couple days ago, and they were talking about how last year they gave, were able to give more in tithes and offerings than they've ever been able to give. I let them know that I have no clue because I'm not privy to those types of things. And they didn't tell me how much, but what they said was they couldn't believe the joy that it was to be able to be put in a place where they felt God was blessing them and they were able to then be a blessing. What happens when we get this perspective is our safety, our um, security, and our value isn't found in what we're storing up here on earth, but it is found in what we can give to others. We sang an old song uh, that, man, this is absolutely from my top billboard hits, Show Your Power, O Lord. Anybody... Uh, it felt like not many of you had ever sung it before, kind of, not judging anybody, but whoo, let me tell you, in 1994, that was a real hoot. And I mean, the tambourines would have been flying, there would have been jumping, there would have been shouting, and um, I mean, obviously Christian type dancing, because, you know, but in it, it, it has a weird line that to me is a little weird to sing. It's the last one. It says, for our inheritance, give us the loss. There's something that I've never really liked whenever we talk about the world, the sinners, the outsiders, the lost. But the heart behind this is saying we ask not for riches, but we look to the cross. It's not about what I can gain. Jesus, I want to look to your cross. I want to look to what you did. That's the most valuable thing to me. And for my inheritance, because as I pursue you and as I worship you and I do what you've called me to do, Lord, the only thing I care is you use my life to lead people to you. I don't care if I have a big home. I don't care if I get a new car. I don't care how many vacations I can go on. I don't care if I have the, the latest style and clothing. I don't care about that, Lord. What I care about is that you use me to, to, to help people see who you are. Not to walk around condemning and, and getting upset and I feel kind of uh, hypocritical saying and yelling because I'm yelling, but that we, we, we walk around wanting to see people experience his love. Yeah. And the cry of this heart is, God, show your power. Not make me powerful. God, that you would be glorified. That you would be lifted high. That, that you would be praised. And as I surrender to that, Lord, the only thing I ask in return as you show your power, is that other people get to experience you. And all the joy that would come knowing that through my life, someone else got to experience the love of God. I've had things given to me. I've been able to achieve things. I, I built my first home at 19 years of age. Conveniently, I lost it like three years later. You know, you get and you lose, whatever. But I tell you what, those things are, they're so temporary. 
And man, I long for him. I'm not going to lie. My head wants, I want something else. I had Rod over to our house. Uh, just he and I were going to cook steaks together and, and hang out and talk on Wednesday night. And he, uh, we sat outside by, we have like a little gas fireplace thing. And we're out there and, and he needs to use the restroom. Too much information, Rod. Am I okay sharing your story here? <laughs> he needs to use the restroom. And he, he went in and we have one bathroom in our home. The door goes to about my nose. The width of it is narrower than my shoulders because I'm so buff. And he goes, and it's at the kitchen. I mean, if this is the kitchen sink, the bathroom door is right here. No joke, okay? And um, he goes, and he, he says, he's like, is this the only one you got? I'm like, this is it. And I'm like, this is, this, is, this is where all eight of us live. And, uh, you know, can we want something better? Sure. But really what's going to bring us satisfaction is him using us to bless others. And I am way over time. All right, real quick, turn to Luke chapter 12. How is it that you're going backwards in Luke? Aren't you staying thematically in the way Jesus said it? I don't know. Maybe Luke didn't record it properly. I don't know. No, I'm not saying that. Luke chapter 12, it just works for me and what I'm saying. Seek first the kingdom of God. Luke 12, 22 through 34. I'm going to summarize this. Jesus is looking at birds. He's looking at plants and he's challenging them. Why do you worry so much about what you have? The flowers don't worry and look at their beauty and look how I take care of them. He talks about the birds. He's saying, look how nature responds. Look how nature functions. We a lot of times like to think of ourselves as more superior to the rest of nature and the rest of animals because we're so much smarter. But what does our brain get us into? It gets us into not trusting and not just following in what God's saying. He's saying, before anything else, seek first the kingdom of God. And it didn't just stop there. And in all of that, all these things will be added unto you. He's going to bless us. He's going to take care of us. He's going to provide for us. He's even going to shift our heart's desire to align with his. As we surrender to his will. We seek first the kingdom of God. I'm pondering. <clears throat> okay. How does this kingdom come? We surrender everything to his reign. Ushers, will you guys uh, come up and begin to pass out the elements? We surrender everything to his reign. Who is greater, the one being served or the servant? So let's not be like the rich young ruler where we hold on to our candlestick, where we hold on to something and begin to say, nope, this earthly thing that I have is so much more important than me experiencing the fullness of God. It is so much more important than my neighbors knowing the goodness of who Jesus is. 
It is this, this belief that I have of what right and wrong is. It is so much more important for me to stand upon it and not budge than to see my coworker invited into church to taste and see of the goodness of God. This belief I have and I, is, is so much more important than for me to be led by God. Let me throw out the caveat with about what I'm going to say of protecting, say, even my kids than to believe that they could be sent into the public school system to reveal the strength of God, to reveal the goodness of God. We have all these things in our mind that we hold on to because we think they're good. And I'm not saying they're all bad. What I'm saying is, are we surrendered to God? Do we let him make the decision of how we invite and what schools our kids go to and what neighbors we decide to, to let in and, and, and to invite in? Or do we let our own fears and our own beliefs hold back those things? That we remember that the greatest is the servant. The one doing the serving. So let's check ourselves and look at where we are spending so much energy trying to get to the table of success, trying to find our place. Here's the deal, folks. There's always someone richer. There's always someone better looking. There's always someone in better health. There's always someone that has a newer iPhone. There's always someone that has more followers. There's always someone that's going to be able to run faster than you. I don't care what your thing is, there is always someone other than Jesus. And other than what Jesus wants to do in and through you, you're the only one who can do that. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and trust that in that place, he will bring all things to you. Asking ourselves the question, is his kingdom advancing in and through me? Do I just simply have faith in the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Or am I becoming a disciple? In Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11, Jesus walks up to the shore to a beach. There's water. It's a beach. There's a boat. There's fishermen. Peter, James, and John. First, he, he wants to stand in their boat and he wants to preach from it. Seems a little bit shady to rock in a boat, but I don't know. Maybe he was just trying to prove his balancing act and how well he could stand in the boat while preaching. He sends them out to get fish. They come back. And he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And he says, drop what you have. Come and follow me. I believe with all of my heart that every single one of us in this room Jesus is saying to you, yeah, you, me, this is my first time in a church, you, me, do you know what I've done, the mistakes, half the things you read that, that, that Jesus told the rich young ruler you shouldn't do, and he said, yeah, I haven't done those since my youth, man, check, 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 I've done them all, you, he's calling you, and he says, I want to make you a fisher of men, drop what you have, come, Follow me. I believe he's calling every single one of us in this room to follow him as a disciple. Yes. Where we actually say we're going to surrender all to his reign. 
that we don't just come to church to play church. We don't just come because we feel better about ourselves. We don't just come because we get to see our friends. We come because we want to be in the family of God. We believe that the church is the bride of Christ. We come to be challenged, not to just be, have a message that makes us feel better about ourselves. We come to actually be challenged by the word of God that it would transform us from the inside out. And we come believing that every single one of us in this room is a leader. Every single one of us is called to be a disciple. There's not just a few. Every one of us in your school, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, wherever you go, you're called to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And he wants to work through you just like he worked through his disciples. So we're going to take communion. And uh, the communion represents, the, the cracker represents the broken body of Jesus. Did you guys get it? Oh, no, you stay there. Let me serve you. I'm just going to put um, point number two into practice. I'm going to be greater. And so why don't you guys just take the other? You go, yeah, one of each. Good. Good. Here you go, Ricky. The cracker represents the broken body of Jesus. That's so that we can be his followers and be his disciples. So that we can stand and say he is good. He allowed his body to be broken for us. You and I got a lot of mistakes. We've done a lot of things we never should have done. We have those selfish thoughts where we actually care about how many likes we got. We spend a lot of our own time trying to get to the seat, to the table of success. And his broken body paid for us to be free of those things. For us to let go of our shame, for us to let go of the lies, for us to let go of the things that have been done to you, for us to forgive ourselves for the things we've done to others, for us to be free to walk with him. It is what made us right to where he can now work through us, where in your own mistakes, he can say, I know, but you know what? I still want you to pray for the person next to you because it's not you. It's not your words. It's me through you. The juice cup represents his blood. The way I like to look at it is that he's up on that cross. I'm dying. I'm in need of a blood transfusion. I am running out. Either there's a sickness in my blood or I am bleeding out. And the only thing that's going to save me is a blood transfusion. And he's up on that cross and he's bleeding out and his blood is pouring into my body so that I may live. He's up there saying, I'm the sacrifice. I did not come to be served. I came to serve so that you may live. Yes, he just asks us to believe in him. But then he also asks us to continue to follow him. And following him means that we surrender all and we become his disciples. We become radical. We become crazy. Not weird in a way where we scare people off, but we become radical in our love for Jesus. We become radical in the belief that he wants to work in and through each one of us. 
that his kingdom would advance. What if you are the only one who can share the goodness of God to your classmates? What if you didn't get into the home, the apartment, wherever you live, the trailer, the single wide, on accident? What if it wasn't the only place you could afford? What if it wasn't the only place where the kitchen faced the correct direction with the right lighting? What if it wasn't the only place with the proper acreage that you wanted or the only place next to public transportation or the only place that would accept you even though you have bad credit? What if God used those things to place you there because it is the only place he wanted you to be because you're the only person that he wants to use to minister to those around you? What if your job isn't the only place that would have hired you? What if you're there because he wants to work through you? So his body was broken and his blood was poured out that you and I may live. If you're in here today and this is your first time walking into the church, I'm sorry, this is probably a really weird message. But I want you to know that you have a seat at this table. I want you to know that you can take this cracker, you can take this juice. We don't do it as some weird seance ritual. We do it in remembrance so that we never take it for granted, so that we never forget who Jesus is. Is it a membership thing? No. What I would say is you take it saying, Jesus, I want to surrender my life to your reign. I don't know what's going on, but God, I feel a tug. I feel you saying that I need to stop doing this in my own strength and I need to follow you. Man, could it really be possible, Jesus, that as I take this cracker and drink this little shot glass of juice, that you would come and fill me, that you would come and transform me, that you would come and make me new? Maybe you're in here and you're, you're a follower of Christ, but you've been struggling with some stuff go through the same thing. Can we just take a moment of silence? I don't know what part of this message ministered to you. But will you just take your own time to respond to Jesus and then we'll take this together. Maybe think through the points. Think through your own attitude, your own perspective. But I tell you what, I believe God has something so extraordinary that he wants to do through us as a church family. But I also know that it will never happen unless we come to a place of believing that we're all called to be disciples. Because it's going to take all of us in unity saying, here I am, send me, O Lord.